Uh, just before we dive into anything, I wanted to thank um, uh, Pastor Denise in particular, but all of our staff and our volunteers, our leaders. I can't thank you enough for the gift of being able to be away with my family. Um, two Sundays off in a row uh, could make a man feel brand new. Um, and so it was a really good time with our family. So thank you so much for just being the kind of church, number one, um, that you're not built on me. Um, this church isn't driven by uh, one leader, one personality. It's founded on Jesus, most of all, and it's carried by many leaders. And so I'm just very, very grateful for that. Um, and so thank you. Uh, the announcement that Pastor Denise said I would uh, share, the best way to kind of frame the tone, kind of the, the seriousness of the week I'm going to be referring to would be to use the, the principle of tithing. And so if you're familiar with this biblical principle, it's a principle we see in scripture that says, we recognize that God owns 100% of the resources that he allows us to steward by honoring him with 10%. So the 10% recognizes that God owns all of it, right? In a week from now, rather two weeks from now, on Sunday, March 19th, for a seven-day period, we're calling all of our church to a week of consecration and prayer. It's a week where we've invited you for these last several weeks to prayerfully discern what kind of fast God would lead you to. And so the, the question for us as a church is not so much, will we be fasting, but what kind of fast is the Lord calling us as he's inviting us collectively to a time of consecration? And during this week, what we're acknowledging is that God owns every week, every day of our life. All of us belongs to him, but sometimes, if we're honest, we drift from that reality. Sometimes we could find ourselves spiritually off-center, and we could live as if we're the lords and kings of our lives rather than God. And so during this week of consecration and prayer... We're inviting all of us to collectively return to the Lord. That's the language of Joel chapter 2, um, a, a point in scripture where God calls his people to a time of fasting and prayer. And so we're, we're taking this quite seriously as a church. We're calling everyone to this time of fasting and prayer. And toward that end, next Sunday, we've actually created a resource. It's a prayer resource for those seven days, and we're going to have them for you to pick up next Sunday, free of charge. And so uh, if, you, if you want this resource to help you, to be a resource, a support of prayer during those seven days, would really encourage you to make sure that you're here next week. We're also going to have a PDF version available. Um, but your, your surest way to get a physical copy would be come next week, um, and we're going to distribute those. We really believe that this week is going to be a powerful time. Sunday, March 19th, all the way to the Saturday before we come together on the last Sunday of March. And we're going to break our fast collectively with our family meal. Can't encourage you enough to discern, if you haven't already, what kind of fasting God's calling you to. And to prepare to commit to that time so that we could all collectively experience renewal from the Lord and a returning to him in any ways that perhaps we've drifted. And so um, we're looking forward to seeing how God meets us. 
really, really believe it's going to be a powerful time. And so um, thank you for, for paying attention to that announcement and hearing the stuff that we've been saying the last couple weeks. If you want some further clarification, some more resources, you could go on our website and go look at the tab that describes fasting in depth. There's a lot of stuff there for you to process. And so we want every single one of you to join in in this time. We really feel um, a, a, an intense invitation from the Lord. We fasted and prayed over many years. We've had moments like this during different times in our, in our life as a church. This year feels significantly different. And so we hope and pray you join us in that regard. And so thank you for that. Um, let's go to scripture. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 as we continue our sermon series, Sankofa, this idea from this African proverb of needing to look back in order for us to be able to move forward. This image of a bird that's moving forward while its eyes are gazing upon where it's been. And we've been looking at various spiritual disciplines and rhythms and scriptures saying we can't move forward with God unless we figure out how it's been done. How the scriptures teach us how to actually intentionally walk with Jesus. This year we've unpacked um, the disciplines of Sabbath, of scripture. We're going to be uh, spending some time in prayer and so, and then the following years, um, next year, the year after that, we're going to re revisit some other disciplines. Um, the goal, the prayerful goal is that over the course of several years, imagine if all of our church has a lived, functional experience practicing these disciplines, where we don't just talk about being close to Jesus, but we actually commit to doing the things that scripture tells us will keep us tethered to him. So... I'm excited about the culture that this is going to create for us, that we're going to be a people that are, are about it. We just don't talk about it. We actually practice it, live it. And so today we're going to continue on scripture, why we should be reading scripture. Why is it important? And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me read that again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come to you and we pray you'd speak to us from your word. We come with expectant hearts. Make your word come alive to us. We want to hear your voice. We need to hear your voice. And so, Lord, meet us as we come to the scriptures. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place with your very presence and speak to each and every one of us. Reveal Jesus to each of us. Meet us as we come to the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, recently I was talking to a family friend. He's not a believer. He's not a follower of Jesus. And I thoroughly loved just catching up with him and hearing how his life is and what's going on. And in the midst of it, um, I shared with him that I, I was enrolled in some classes at seminary, and he looked at me weird. Um, it's like, 
you know, you've, you've been at this for a while. You've been a pastor for a bit. You've been following Jesus from the age of 14. You're 43. Um, he says, respectfully, um, he's just like, why do you read the Bible? And, I, and I didn't, it wasn't offensive. It wasn't antagonistic. He was like legit curious and puzzled. Like, haven't you read all that's there already by this point? Why do you read the Bible? Why? And, and I was struck by that question because honestly, I think it's a question that for us as Christians, we don't wrestle enough with why do we read the Bible? Why should we? Um, we just kind of know that we should. We don't know why. And most of us feel a lot of guilt that we don't read it enough. Um, and so why should we read the Bible? Why is it important to read the scriptures? And honestly, when you look at the verse that we just read, probably the most succinct answer, cursory answer, a starting point would be because I'm exhausted. And I can't catch my breath. And when I read the scriptures, I create space for God to breathe in me. Because what we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. What it tells us is that when we open up the scriptures, the words that are contained in it don't just contain ideas or concepts. It contains the very breath of God. That when we open the scriptures and read it, we allow God to breathe into us. Though we don't want to admit it at times, not just us followers of Jesus, but our culture at large, we don't want to admit how out of breath we are, how exhausted, how starving we are for inspiration, how we long to grow in life. We want to change. We want to be transformed inwardly. And how often we stay in that place, in that place of frustration and longing. And yet, what we read is that the scriptures, when we read them, the first thing that we can expect is not to gain information, but to experience God breathing on us, breathing life into us. I was talking uh, with my eight-year-old recently about asthma. And I was sharing with him the story of when God healed me of asthma. And so when I was a kid, and I actually, I didn't know this. If you were here, the last extended worship and prayer, Donald taught, and it was really powerful. If you missed out, love yourself next time. You should be here. And so um, it was really great. He taught on healing, um, praying for healing. And I totally forgot that Donald and I have the shared experience of God healing us of asthma. And so I was 14 years old. I came to Christ um, September 26, 1994. And a few weeks after that, the guy who led me to Christ said, Chris, uh, I'd love to pray for you that Jesus would heal you of your asthma. And now, my, I, since I was a little boy, from as long as I can remember, I would spend at least a week every year in the hospital. It was the worst. I mean, being in the hospital as an adult sucks. But being in the hospital as a kid is really terrible. I, I hated it. But it was like clockwork every single year. And so now I come to Christ and he prays for me and I will never forget the moment he prayed. He laid his hands on my head and I actually opened my eyes because I was like, 
No, no funny business better be happening here. I was a Christian for a few weeks, you know. Trust but verify kind of attitude. And as he prayed, I felt hands go in my lungs and like carve out brand. I've never had asthma since. But I remember the awful experience of being out of breath and needing to go for your inhaler because your lungs were tightening. Spiritually speaking, we all have asthma. We all are catching our breath. We all can't breathe. We're all struggling with something or another. And what happens is when we go to the scriptures, God breathes, gives us life. It's not just, it's not first and foremost for information. It's for him to breathe into us. When we're exhausted, when we're out of breath, when we can't catch up with life. I'll add another thing that one of the reasons I love not just to read the scriptures, but I love to not only preach the word of God, but to see the word of God preached for this reason. I love the moment when God's breath comes over people and people come alive. There is nothing like it. No one else can do that. No one else but Jesus. There's something about when the scriptures are faithfully taught that at a certain moment, you, this is no longer the ideas or opinions of people. We've done our best to amplify the scriptures and let God speak. And at that moment, God speaks, he breathes, and dead people come alive. It's why we do what we do as a church. We want to see people experience that kind of life. One of my favorite stories is this woman I met years ago. From a teenager, she was in and out of uh, youth juvenile detention institutions. Um, really, really troubled young life. Multiple situations of abuse when she was a child. And so she spent most of her existence acting out of this rage and this just real deep pain. And then she found herself walking past a church that was a storefront church in the South Bronx. And they were preaching from Genesis 1.26. If you know what that verse says, it says that you and I are created in the image of God. Now, I know some of you this morning, you looked at the mirror and said, I look good. But you didn't praise yourself enough because if you were looking at yourself from what the scripture says, you're made in the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You have inherent dignity and worth because God made you in his image. This young girl was walking past this storefront church, and this was South Bronx exegesis of this text. And so they said, God don't make no junk. That was how they were preaching, you're made in the image of God. And she heard that. And at that moment, her heart was captured. She found herself at the altar of that church, giving her life to Christ. Because for the first moment, she could hear someone say, you have dignity. You have worth. You're valuable. You're not your circumstances. You're not what's done to you. Today, she runs one of the most dynamic nonprofits that serves troubled youth in the city. Because the life, the breath of the word of God penetrated her situation. 
The word of God has that kind of power within it. But unfortunately, it's probably one of the least accessed things in the life of the Christian. We leave so much potential, so to speak, unused, and we leave it on the table. You know, every year, Americans finish the year with unused vacation days because that's just part of the culture. And then even when Americans use vacation, if you look, if there, there's, there was a funny meme I read. It was like a away message from Europe and an away message from the U.S. I don't know if you've seen this. So the away message from Europe is, like, I'll be on holiday these days. I'll see you when I get back. The away message from the U.S. was like, I'll be on vacation, but if you really need to reach me, you can text me, Instagram me. I can be found in an emergency. Here's my Zoom link just in case. Like even when we take off, we don't fully take off. But we, most of the time, the end of the year, we leave all this unused time. And I love, some of you are looking at me like, not me, Pastor Chris, I use it up. But for those that don't, all this unused potential. And yet what 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, all that's accessible for us, all that's there within the scriptures. First off, Paul is telling Timothy this, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. Let's stop there. Profitable. That word means that it's beneficial. The word of God is beneficial for us. It, has, it will benefit you to read it, to study it, to open it regularly, to spend time with God in the scriptures. It is of benefit to you and I. It transforms our life. It enhances our life. We need to not leave these benefits unused. What are some of the benefits? It says, first off, that it's profitable for teaching. If there is something that you need answers to, wisdom for, growth in, you can go to the word of God. If we're honest, most of us, we've been conditioned to go to Google first, to go to YouTube first, and I'm grateful for all the wisdom that's been aggregated in those spaces. I'm not saying to not seek out wisdom and to not get answers when you need them and to look at experts and folks that have studied things out from all these vantage points. But the first source that you and I can go to is the scriptures. God, I need you to teach me. First off, teach me how to be a human being. Teach me how to be someone that you created to fit your design. But not only so, look at what it also says, it benefits us. It benefits us for reproof and correction. Now this is important because though we are not lacking in, in places where we could access information, solutions, wisdom, insights, what we are lacking is places where we can go and know that we will faithfully find loving correction. In our culture, we are constantly told, have it your way. No one should check your prerogatives. Who is anybody to say that that is something you shouldn't pursue? We've twisted so much. The scripture says that God is love. Our culture has turned that around and says love is God. And whatever we feel like we love, 
we don't allow anybody to confront that to us. The scriptures are a necessary place of correction, of reproof. Because I don't know about you, though we all need people in our lives to cheer us on, to say, go for it, believe, don't give up. We also need people to say, you sure about that? You sure about that? Why are you doing that? What's your motive there? We need someone to be able to say, you should pause and examine that, or maybe you shouldn't do that, or you're kind of, that, that sounds elitist of you, that sounds consumeristic, that sounds really arrogant, that sounds selfish. What you, we need a mirror that can confront us, and the scriptures do that in a loving way. But not only so, Paul says that it's not only profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, but it says for training in righteousness. That word training, it literally means what a parent does to a young child to help them mature. It's a beautiful image of what it means to grow spiritually, that through the word of God, God takes us from spiritual infancy and matures us and grows us. In other words, if you and I are intentional to grow in Christ, if we don't want to remain spiritual infants, if we want to grow and mature and being able to care for spiritual infants, we need the word of God to train us in righteousness. Then lastly, it says that the man of God may be complete. Now, for, for, for the women in the room, don't stone me, don't get mad. And say, the man of God, what about the women of God? All right, let's calm down because this is what that actually means. And so when Paul is using that phrase, he's taking an Old Testament concept that was used for the idea of the messenger of God. So women can be messengers of God, men can be messengers of God. And the idea is that the scriptures are profitable to equip you and I to be messengers of God. In other words, the scriptures are not just there for you to consume them for your own private edification. They are profitable, beneficial for you and I to become mouthpieces for the living God. That you and I can give an account for the hope that we have. One way of thinking about it is if the way we're following Jesus is not raising questions in others, if people are not asking you for clarification, and why do you believe this, and why do you live this way, then maybe we need to examine how we're living. Because if to, to follow Jesus will raise eyebrows, will raise questions, and when those questions emerge, the word of God empowers us to give an account, to be his messengers. Could you imagine you and I growing in Christ through the word of God, to a point that we won't feel stumbled and confused, but we'll have a loving confidence to explain why we believe what we believe and to share in love why people should follow Jesus. The word of God equips us toward that end. If we choose to not allow it to be an underutilized book in our lives, but all of those reasons and more I could share don't really get to the heart of why we should read the scriptures and what I actually answered my friend when he asked me that. This is the best passage I could find that really captures 
what I believe is the greatest reason why we should read the Bible and why I try as best to faithfully read it myself. John chapter 5, verse 36 to 40, Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders who are very studious in the word of God themselves, and he says this, I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. As someone who studies the Bible Often with the intent to teach it, this is one of the most terrifying passages for me in all of the New Testament. Because Jesus is telling religious leaders who study the word of God in a way that's enviable. I aspire to know the word of God the way these religious leaders knew the word of God. It's been said that certain rabbis during this time, if you took a needle and pierced one end of a, of a scroll like the scroll of Isaiah, they could tell you every letter that needle went through. They knew the word of God. And yet Jesus says they studied it thinking that by studying it, it gave them access to eternal life. And he says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me. In other words, it's possible to read the word of God and miss the fact that the word of God is to be like an usher that brings you to Jesus. And yet so often we find ourselves in these off-ramps and like these weird theological cul-de-sacs and rather than actually letting the word of God bring us to Jesus. The word of God is not a book that makes you an expert in ancient cultures or, or, or history. That's not the intent. What good is it if... We leave the word of God with minds filled with all this information, yet lack the intimacy with the living God that it invited us into in the first place. He's given us his word so that we could encounter him. The scriptures lead us to Jesus. It's the equivalent of following a shadow till you get to the source of the shadow. You don't stay at the shadow. You follow it till you get to the very source of it. When we read the scriptures, we're following the word of God till it brings us to his very face. In other words, the scriptures are meant not just to teach you how to live, but more than anything, it's meant to teach you where you find life. And you find life in the presence and person of Jesus. I know many people that have said something similar to this idea, like they don't want to read the Bible because every time they read the Bible, they feel guilty. They feel like it's pointing out some deficiency in their life or something that they're not getting right. And so it's like this book is always condemning me, and so why do I want to read it? And it's painful to hear that because God's primary intent when you and I read his scriptures is not to modify our behavior. His primary intent is for us to meet him. Because if you meet him, he'll modify your behavior. He'll change you. 
There's no way that you and I can consistently meet Jesus and remain the same. Here's one thing to, to prepare you for. There's a false idea of Christian maturity that says the more mature you become, the less sin you confess. False, because I'm telling you, the more you read the Bible, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more aware you become of your brokenness. It's just like, oh God, you knew about that this whole time and you still loved me. The word of God will bring up stuff for sure, will convict you for sure. But it's primarily there to bring us into the presence of God. As we've been in this series, praying and dreaming of what our church could look like over the course of many years, it's honestly one of the most exciting things for me to think a few years from now, all of us, being really rooted and grounded in the love of God, knowing Jesus. I, I sit and pray and imagine and I just smile when I think of what would a couple years of actively practicing Sabbath do for our church? What would a couple years of really intentionally being in scripture, in prayer? Those are some of the things we're looking at this year Next year, we're going to look at other spiritual disciplines. A year after that, imagine if these things become practices that we have lived experience. What would a couple years of consistent fasting do for us? It would be powerfully transformative. In particular, one of the prayers I find myself praying, not just for us, but honestly, beginning with me is that we would become a people with undiminished passion for the word of God. Where we would crave for it like necessary bread. Where we would hunger for the word of God. You know, one of the things, uh, I might have shared it, it's kind of a blur. <laughs> Uh, vacation wasn't that vacation-y for us um, because from the moment we started driving down to Florida Friday night, um, by midnight, our eight-year-old son started throwing up. We thought it was car sickness. We were very wrong because um, it spread like dominoes and we weren't all better till like Wednesday night. Um, oh, it was terrible. But in particular with Brielle, uh, she just turned three yesterday. Um, and so she's such a gift. And, but because she has Down syndrome, uh, her, we are always trying to figure out what she's trying to tell us. And so we're still growing and she's growing in her ability to communicate. And so we knew something was up, but we weren't sure. And now like we're four kids deep, so we're, we're pretty good at this. Um, more so my wife, she's amazing. She could tell like an ear infection before it happens like a few days out. No joke. She's gone to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you did it again. Yeah. <laughs> Ear infection is brewing. It's like trying to get us to translate this to Vegas, but never mind. And so um, we're, um, <laughs> why do I do that to myself? Um, lost track. Uh, one of the telltale signs 
that something is off, for those of you who don't have kids yet, is if their eating habits change. If you say, wait, they're not eating, their, their hunger is dissipating, something's up. I can tell you, spiritually speaking, one of the telltale signs that something is brewing in our hearts that we're beginning to drift is where is our hunger for the word of God? Are we skipping meals? Are we substituting the health of the word of God for like snacks? Do you, have we substituted actually opening the word of God for people talking about them opening the word of God to us? That's a lot of us. Uh, we get these like TikTok treats, you know, somebody just, you know, giving us a little wisdom, a little encouragement. And some of it is pure garbage, I'll be honest, um, like absolutely garbage. It's like, that's strong words. Well, open your Bible and you'll see. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's off. There's no substitute for you and I opening the word of God and letting God breathe, speak to us. And when hunger is dissipating, there's probably some degree of spiritual sickness that's brewing. But look at Paul. I love this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 to 13. He says this, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus, Dalmatia, Luke, alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus when you, verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. You have to understand something. If you read down after these verses, Paul knows that he's at the end of his life. God has showed him this as he's been traveling to different cities. Prophets have told him, your end is coming. When you get to Rome, they're going to kill you. And later on, he says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. He's at the end of his life. And what is he still hungry for? He says, bring me the books. Bring me the parchments. He's still hungry to study, to grow, to learn. That says so much because if you've looked at Acts and what he goes through, Paul was, went through incredible hardships for the gospel. He was beaten several times. By the time his life was at the end, he, he probably looked so disfigured. You know what it is to get beaten in that culture? There, there was no dentist. They're not going to fix your mouth afterwards. So he probably was not the most attractive person to look at. Scars on his back from whips and unbelievable heartache and hardships that he's gone through. And yet, at the end of his life, he's not disoriented. He's not trying to deconstruct his faith. He's not trying to say, you know, the church hurt me. And I don't know about this Jesus. You don't understand, this is impressive to me. Because this, 
I can't imagine someone going through what he's gone through and he's not disillusioned. But he actually wants more of Jesus. He hasn't abated in his passion and his intentionality. He just wants to keep growing in his love for God. You ever heard of that desert island experiment? It was like, you have a desert island, you only have one book, one movie, one meal. What is it going to be? And, and people just, you know, they start throwing out all these things like, well, it has to be the office. I can't, you know, all I had one thing to watch, it has to be the office and it has to be pasta and whatever. <laughs> what's that experiment intended? It's intended to help you clarify what's most important to you, what you can't live without. And Paul's desert island, he wants the scriptures. It's possible to have such a love for the word of God that our hearts crave it. Where your heart aches when there's periods of absence from it. My prayer is that this would become a reality for us. Become part of who we are. That even when life hits us hard, it doesn't disillusion us to the point that we walk away from God, but actually we keep running hard toward him. And we want more of the word of God. As we close, perhaps you're in a place right now In your honest moments, you say, I presently don't have that kind of hunger for God's word. And if you're there, I'm glad that you're being honest about it. God can't heal us of what we're not honest about. It's like going to the doctor and saying, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I'm just generally unwell. You know, like if if we're not specific, we don't own it, we can't get help. If your spiritual hunger for the word of God is not where it needs to be, this is the moment to confess it. I've shared this in the past. There's certain people I hang out with, not because I enjoy the conversation, to be honest, because we have such different experiences. One friend in particular, we could not have grown up more different if we tried. However, I intentionally schedule myself to hang out with them a couple times a year because every time I leave, I leave hungry for the word of God. Because he's not, he's not, he doesn't try, he just loves scripture. And it just comes out in the most natural way. And he, he just, and why do I need that? Because there are times where I can tell my hunger for God, for his word is diminishing. And I need that to be revived in me. So if you're at that place, I'm going to give you permission to be honest about that. Let's confess any apathy or lack of hunger we have for the word of God. That's the first place. The second thing is community. There's no greater place to foster and continue to reinforce hunger for the word of God than being in the presence of others that will reinforce it for us. If you have not joined a small group, if you've not listened to that invitation, it is not too late to do so. You can join one now. Join one Even if it's just for the intent of I want to be around people that will stoke this hunger in me. And last but not least, is something that Pastor Denise and I have been processing, praying through 
there's been folks in our community that said, hey, I would love to have space where we could like consistently dig into scripture and really study it. And so we're in the process of figuring out what that looks like in a sustainable way. But I said it to the first service, I'm saying it now. If you're in a place where you say, I want to be a part of whatever gets figured out, I want to be in that space with others where we can study scripture and really dig in, here's all I ask you to do. Email me, like right now. If, if you won't get too distracted, pull your phone out, email me right now. If you need to wait till tonight, that's fine. Email is Christian with a K at hopechurchnyc.org. Email me. Let me know. I want in on that class. There was a great response to first service. And so there's a lot of hunger for people that here want to just be in a space where we're coming to the word of God again, not just for information, but to encounter Jesus, to know him. And so if that's you, I'd love to hear from you so that we can figure this out together and create a space where we could just be in the word of God together. With that, I want to invite us if we could stand at this time. Hopefully when you came in, you received a communion cup. If you did not, if you would just kindly raise your hand and someone will be around shortly to get you that. So just keep your hand raised. Someone's coming around right now. And as we prepare, you can proceed to open the cup and have the bread in hand. The scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body word says that by your stripes you were made whole you were punished for our peace we thank you that your sacrifice reconciles us brings us into relationship with the father Your sacrifice makes us righteous, not our good works. It's what you have done. Receive your body, bread at this time. Prepare to receive the cup. 25 in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood 
do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Your word teaches us that the children of Israel during the Passover, that wherever doorpost of their homes had the blood of, of a lamb, a spotless lamb that was sacrificed, that judgment passed over. They were not judged. They were spared. They were delivered. Jesus, thank you that because of your sacrifice, we are not judged. We're met with grace and love and forgiveness that only you could have accomplished for us. We receive what you've done for us. and We stand on it. We stand on your sacrifice as the one thing we have that makes us righteous. Let's receive the cup at this time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. At this time, I want to invite us to respond in prayer and worship. The worship team is going to lead us in song and in prayer. And as they do at this time, the prayer team is in the back my right to your left and at any given moment as we begin to sing and pray and respond if you'd like prayer for anything but in particular if you'd like prayer for the words that were shared earlier we would love to pray with you all you have to do is slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer they're waiting for you and they can't wait to minister to you and pray with you so with that said could I invite us if you feel comfortable doing so could we raise our hands in the presence of God posture of surrender, a posture of receiving. Let's turn to God. Father, we, if, if we lack hunger for your word, would you forgive us? We repent, we confess it, and we ask for you to renew a hunger for us. We want to crave your word. If we've, Lord, uh, resisted the invitation of community, would we Finally say yes to it and keep showing up that we might be strengthened by your word. Others, God, and Lord, for the class that we're talking about, Lord, if despite all the challenges and all the reasons why we might say we can't do this, Lord, if you're calling us, may we say yes. Jesus, we turn to you now. Let's worship. <laughs>